the Michigan Hockey Cast 6.6, where maybe this time we're glad the second hockey game was during the football game. In the spring, we had to talk about one of the worst starts in North American sports history. And now, not too far from where those games were played, we might be able to do it again in a different sport in the same town. Not the same town, but... I mean, it's it's same functionally the same town. Metropolitan region. Well, okay. They don't play in the same building, but... Well, San Jose say- and Oakland are quite different. Okay, but like... So are Auburn Hills and Detroit. Yeah, they're same metro area. Oh, okay. Anything else you'd like to nitpick while we're at it? Or no, any? that's just an important thing to point out. It's the thing of like when people are like, oh yeah, I'm from Detroit, but they're actually from you know Rochester or Bloomfield Hills. I mean, like, no, you're not from Detroit. You're you're, <laughs> you're, you're not you're not hard enough to be from you're, Detroit. You're, fr- you're from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the San Jose Sharks have played Nine games? Ten games? I believe ten or eleven. Let me pull up there. Ten or eleven games, and they have taken one point from making it to a shootout in, like, game two of the season? Uh, it was very early in the season, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, because it was against the Avs. And they, who got, I was, they got outshot, like, 50 to 20. Yeah. I mean, it probably should have been, like, four or five to one, something like that. But, um, so that's their only point. And on top of that, they've also just been massively obliterated plural times this week. They played two games this past week. They lost 10 to 1 and 10 to 2. And I, we talked about this, and, and you were like, that just can't happen two times in a week. And I said, should that happen two times in a season? Depends on the amount of scoring in the league, but at this current level, no. I mean, but part of it is also they don't score goals. No. They are scoring, they've scored 12 goals in 11 games. Wow. That's like Notre Dame. (laughs) And they've allowed 55 in 11 games. Whew. 55 in 11 games. So, okay, we talked about the Oakland A's who, you know, that was a little bit different because it seems like they're trying to move or, you know, the the ownership situation is, is fluid and the ballpark situation is fluid and... They want to follow basically every other team in that town to Vegas, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it doesn't excuse it, and it doesn't make it any less ridiculous, but you kind of can see the underlyings there. This is not that situation. The Sharks aren't trying to swim away, are they? Uh, Not that anyone can tell. (laughs) They can't go to Vegas. Nope. So... It's it's just a situation where this is a roster that has been decaying over several seasons. Decaying's a good word. And then they traded Eric Carlson in the offseason to Pittsburgh. Well, they traded Brent Burns previously. The previous summer, correct. Yes. And he had he had another big contract. Yes. And to- and and to be clear, Carlson and Burns are both good players. And Well, they're they're yeah. And Burns in particular you know, they get rid of him. He goes to Carolina. Really good. Then last year, you have the Sharks, a really bad team. But Eric Carlson has one of the years of his life and is able to, you know, 
keep them in the 70-point range, and then they trade him. And now, So all, they had, what, the fourth pick? Now all, oh, yes. Now all of a sudden, in the offseason, you subtract the only thing that was keeping your team <laughs> salvageable at 5-on-5, five five, and unsurprisingly, this is where you're at. And But did you, ex- I mean, you do previews and look at these things and measure your preseason metrics against everybody else's, and despite not claiming to be an expert, you act like an expert. Did you see this happening? No, I mean I I did look at the at the team at the start of the the season and I thought this has a chance to be really really bad. Um the biggest thing is the the defense and the goalies. Well, it's a combination of things because last year we went into the season saying the Coyotes look unbelievably bad. Like the Coyotes going into last, last year. Season. Okay. And like the Coyotes could be a 45 point team. And then they weren't. They were like a 70 point team. And what happened there was they had two goalies who played just phenomenally in Carol Vamelka and Connor Ingram. And then you had Andre Tourney, their coach, have like a really like good season. Like the team looked really disciplined, well coached. They had a good structure. They had a method to grind out and steal games at home and, and do those sorts of things. And you look at the Sharks team and they're not getting that goaltending <laughs> that Vamelka and Ingram did. And their coach, David Quinn, in my opinion, is the worst coach in the NHL. Uh, I mean, this isn't even his first stop. No. So were they getting him to try to be bad? Hopefully. <laughs> for his, well, I mean, not remember, for his sake. He was in the, in the NCAA with it was Boston a B- U. U. And we were like, this guy's a terrible coach. He's a great recruiter, but he's a terrible coach. And then the NHL was like, yeah, we'll pick him up. He's going to do great recruiting in the NHL. Didn't he go to the Rangers? Yeah. And then as soon as he goes fired, they've been in the playoffs consistently. And <laughs> okay. So... It should get better for the Sharks in the same way it did for the A's. At the end of the day, the A's still lost 110-some games. It leveled off, It right? leveled off. Yeah. But I mean, they weren't better. They just there, there are some players on this team that we know are better than they're currently playing, Thomas Hurdle most notably. Um, plus, they need to get Logan Couture back from injury um, and get him fully healthy. But their defense is apocalyptic. Like, that depth chart. Is it worse than Anaheim's last year? It, it looks uh, just atrocious. <laughs> Well, Anaheim last year had um, a Cam Fowler who, like, you know, is supposed to be a solid player. There's no one on the six players in the San Jose depth chart that's supposed to be decent. There, there's nobody. They're all, like, AHL or below players. They're all AHLers and then the corpse of Mark Edward Vlasic, <laughs> who they still have, like, in, un, in an unfathomably long amount of time left on that contract. <laughs> it's like two or three more years somehow. But, and, and you know, you'd expect to see improvements from guys like William Eklund and, and Bortolo if he gets more in the action. Like, there's some, there's a few players that you'd expect to put... Can they even improve on a team like that? That's the problem. And one of the big problems here is, I mean, the morale's going to be lower than ever recorded in the locker room. And, yeah, like, can they even get that improvement if the whole team is just given up? I, I don't know. It's going to be pretty fascinating. They're off to the worst 11-game start by goal differential. Uh, in NHL history, which is <laughs> seems hard to imagine, and we like to you know throw things out there, and I am the one who's always trying to push back from a historical lens. But there's no pushing back here. Like what this is legitimately is is legitimately 1974-75 Washington Capitals, who went eight sixty-seven and five. 
Like that, this is what this is. They were outscored by about three and a half goals per game. This team's being outscored by four. Like and, that's what and it the, is. It's not. We like to joke about that and stuff. No, this is what it looks like. <laughs> this is what those expansion teams look. And like. And they're doing it to slam dunk their way into a top three pick, which they should. So you you prefer it to not be this level of bad well, to get there, but this is a draft. But this where is how you do it. Yes, and this is a draft where people are very excited about the top three forwards in the draft. And if you finish worse, you get top three. So if, let's say, Arizona and Anaheim were also to do this. Now, obviously, they aren't, and, and both are actually off to nice starts. decent starts. You know, I don't know who the worst team in the East is. There's really, honestly... There's not, there's not really there's one really, that's... I mean, you look at the season so far. Yeah. The East, the worst team is either Pittsburgh or Ottawa at 4-6. and six. And Pittsburgh's clearly not trying to, trying to tank, and Ottawa's Ottawa. tr- clearly not either. So They're just anyway. happy we spared them from discussing them this week. So after. my point is, like, if, if you have plural teams, and you can have three of them, right, that can just automatically fit into that top three based on the new rules for the draft, like, what does the NHL need to do something? I mean, do sports need to do something? This is the constant. Because this is like, I, I understand, but this is like, but with the A's, now it's different with the A's because like the top, getting the top pick in baseball is like, it's well, pointless to he's probably going to be good, but you don't really know and how long and all that stuff. But in this particular situation, like you're not only putting a bad product, but you're completely unbalancing the schedules in a lot of ways too. And yeah, what if you and if you have two teams doing it, like why even play those games? I I don't know. It's it's one of the I always felt that the whining about tanking was really annoying, and it, it depends on the level of it. So this doesn't this doesn't bother you? I don't care. I think this is if so, there are three teams in the league every season that are really really bad. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem. But this with, is a level of like. What I have a problem with is repeated tanking year after year after year. I think the guardrails they've put in with the lottery to repeat, re- stop repeat winners and things like that is good. But if every team once every thirty years wants to have a forty-five point team to get a star, I got no problem with that. Forty-five point team is okay. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. Forty-five point team is outrageously bad. Right, but I mean, like the Sharks aren't even on pace to do that. I, they'll probably get to like third, forty, I would guess. Okay, <laughs> which is still really bad. But like, <laughs> the, the problem is the problem is twofold to me. Is that if you had a team doing it year after year after year for which, five or seven years? I mean, haven't the Coyotes more or less been doing that? Right, which is why it's been good that they've. But also, the Coyotes. There's a difference between trying to do that intentionally and doing it out of ineptitude, right? Like Buffalo was in the lottery top five-ish for like 10 straight years. Not intentionally, just because they were really bad they at building poorly it. poorly run team, or but whatever. You're yeah. right. Okay. Um, the other problem would be if like 12 teams were doing it. Right? <laughs> now that if would we be... Had, if we had the Ryan Lambert model of the NHL, which is his whole thing is like, if you don't have a greater than 5% chance of win the Stanley Cup, you should actively try to lose every game. <laughs> if you had that model where 15 teams are all trying to out-tank each other, then yes, that would be a huge problem. The only part that would make that interesting are if eight of them were in one division. Because then you would just have the isolated worst division and everybody... Some would, four, four of those teams would have to make the playoffs. Three of them would have to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I, four, I mean, I, the thing is, we had all this like whining about it in, in the NBA years ago, and you look at this NBA season, there's very few teams that are trying to lose. There are teams that are going to be bad, that are going to get high picks, but you look at the Pistons, Hornets, these are teams that are actually... You know, late in the season, once it's over, then they might tank the last eight games. 
But these are teams that are have young cores, have young players that are trying to improve. They're going to be bad, but the NHL and the NBA, really this season, don't have a ton of tanking. There's only a couple true offenders in either oh, league the Sharks. whose whole point is to lose games. Is there? An, there's not another one in the NHL, is there really? Not really. I mean, yeah. the, the Blackhawks are going to be really bad. But, and they're, I, I would but say, they're actually winning games. <laughs> well, right, and they have their guy. Like if, yeah. that, that's again, They have their guys, right, honestly. That's the thing about tanking to me, is that if you just want to do it one year, get that high pick, get your dude, and then you start signing free agents and slowly climbing upwards, then I don't have a problem with that. It's also hard to like prove tanking versus ineptitude all the time, too. I mean, like you can have your theories, but like like you said, with the Coyotes, with the Sabres at that time, they just were bad. There's a fun. They weren't trying to be bad. They just weren't weren't well done, well run, and and they didn't make good decisions and didn't understand how to scout and put team players together. And there's a fundamental problem that the NHL has in this, and it's that we're just really good at figuring out who the stars are going to be. And so long as most all of the all-star players in this league are drafted top 10, if not top 5, you're going to have this problem. Hmm. Especially in a league where so few players of any value ever hit free agency. Yeah. Just the way it goes. Yeah. No, I mean, that. I don't... I don't. And, and like in baseball, you have tanking, but for very different reasons. Tanking mostly because you have a lot of owners who are extremely cheap and you know, swindle the fans into thinking that tanking is useful in baseball. So, <laughs> a fundamentally different problem. Easier to eradicate in the MLB than it is at the NHL. All right, we've talked about bad hockey. Should we talk about sad hockey? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, you're excited. Uh, so, like, what, every other week except last week, um, you know, we get to watch the Friday game and then the Saturday game, of course, takes place during the football game and... You know, there is watching of periods and times and highlights, but uh, overall flow of the game was a little rough. Um, so we'll talk more in depth about the first game since that was the one that we watched, and it actually looked looked like it was going to be good for Michigan until the very end, which is a theme we will talk about a little bit later. Uh, the first thing of note is that uh, Luca Fantilli did not play, and Josh Arico did, Um Rowe also came in for Pletsky. That those guys seem that slightly inter- interchangeable. The Arico thing is, I mean, they're just right at the bottom of defensemen right now in terms of like being able to get six they want on the ice. And it obviously they're it starts. Not able to. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Is that I mean? It's, obviously, it starts with Drew Skinny's not being on the team anymore, and then you get the Edwards injury, that where he's out at least. It seems till January, and then the Duke thing is sort of up in the air. He's been he's playing. He's been in and out, and now is you know. Luka and now Luke, I didn't, I didn't see any of that. I didn't hear any of that. Did you? Do you have any clar- clarity I have on no that idea. situation? I have no idea. Because I think he played on Saturday. I think so. I'd have to look. At I that. think he had a penalty. That's how I knew of all the things. It was like a roughing penalty. But anyway, so Arico comes in, and they don't try to put him on the bottom pair with Holtz, and then not play them. They put they split up Warren and Truscott, and I mean it's pretty rough early for Rico as he's the guy who's beaten down the center of the ice for a tip in goal. From yeah, I I don't like that idea at all. What trying to split it up and hide your big weak spot because then you just limit yourself because you have a guy who's not as good on the ice almost all the time. Yes. And in, yeah. also, in fairness to Jacob Triscott, like he's not 
He's also not Kale McCarr or <laughs> yes, like, exactly a level of defenseman that can sort of make anyone look good next to them. Yeah, there's still limits when we say that sort of phrase, but like. The Lightning did it for a lot of years with Hedman when he was at his peak. Like, they just have Jan Ruda, who was just sort of a, a marginal player, and Hedman would just drag him around. But even Ruda was a respectable player. Like, you couldn't, you can't put an AHL defenseman on the ice with any superstar NHLer and not have it yeah. be at least choppy. <laughs> yeah. And Michigan, let's be frank here, Arrigo is a major, major problem. And. Triscott is also not even close to good enough to being well, able to, to drag him around. And I, I honestly I don't remember if they played him. I think it was actually with Warren, not Truscott. But, I mean, kind of the same thing, right? Just, like, yeah. And so he gets beat down the ice. Warren, I think, is sort of beaten a little bit down the wing. The pass comes in from the boards out in front. Enrico is a step behind Finley, who tips it in past Barczewski. I mean, that's a great play. Let's give the Badgers it's, some credit. It's, it, it is, is a, a good play. Picture picture perfect pass in a perfect spot and a tip in. and a great tip. Yep. And it's already one nothing pretty pretty soon in. Um and then Rico again is on defense in his own slot and it's just kind of getting pushed around. There's a chance Barcheski makes the save, but it just looks pretty clear early on that it it's just not going to work. And I don't really know what you do if you're Michigan. I, clearly they are going to give uh Rico the chance instead of Brendan Miles. Um <laughs> But, Not a good sign for Brendan Miles. Well, I, I mean, I don't. But I, at this point, do you just dress five and you play an extra forward and you rotate somebody back? Is there a forward that you see that can maybe play defense for the next two months? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, the the depth guys. I don't. I don't know what their histories have. They even played. Who would you even want to move? Who has the size or the ability? I mean, would somebody like Ernesty? Would it? Would somebody like? I mean, could you? I don't even know. Could you? Could you? You know, just Rowe and Pletsky? I mean, would they be worse than Arico? I mean, because it was pretty soon when I think Arico mostly stopped playing. Right? Like yeah. you just didn't. I just didn't see him anymore. No, that's what you have to do in those situations: is just shorten the bench and. We got to ride our. But at this point, do you think it's going to go differently the next time? Like this is like the third or fourth game we've tried this. No, I mean they're they're just in a situation where if Tyler Duke's healthy, they just have to go Duke, Casey, Truscott, Warren, Warren, and, and then, then Holtz, and they all maybe rotate Holtz back. rotates in, and you know this is just nineteen seventy style. We have two pairs in a spare. Let's go. Is that what they used to call it? No, that's just what I call it. Oh, because that's funny. Two pairs in a spare. Well. I mean, that's what it's going to be because Edwards is not going to be back next week or the week after. I mean, nope. it's, we're he's he's a bit out. And I think the lesson here is that if you're going to carry ten defensemen, ideally twenty percent of them should not be guys that can never see the ice under any circumstance. Well, I, I don't think that's a lesson they need to learn. <laughs> it's a situation I don't think they thought they were going to be in. And I mean, because the, the the question that or the criticism we had in the but, preseason but here's was the thing you, you go back in time i mean there was a time when we thought karen was kind of a guy you could never play and then he got in the action and we were like oh he's actually a bit of a player over like, his career sure but there i mean there have been guys that michigan have had been buried deep in the lineup that when have gotten the chance can be useful well Arico might be a player in a couple of years yeah, it maybe. just clearly is not this year or at least this semester. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It just. And I don't. And this isn't like a a criticism or anything. I mean, this is. I mean, I guess it, it, technically it kind of is. But I mean, 
the the coaching staff seems to think so too because they've tried to ice him and they can't. I mean, <laughs> it's just the way that it is. Um, so this is a bit of a roller coastery period here. So Michigan's down one zero. And they get about halfway through the game. And after that, then you get what begin. We're going to have to talk about this because of, of Nazer and Shifsky and sort of what they did all this game and even a little bit in the second game. But um, you get you see Nazer below the goal line, gets along the end boards, wins a puck battle, gets possession, is able to free some space and finds Shifsky in front who scores on basically a one-timer. The interesting thing to me was that there was also another guy in front. So they had two guys that were essentially open and Nazer wins the puck battle and, and Michigan ties it at one thanks to some physicality and then a nice shot. Nazer outworks the other guys, but the big hero of this play are the three Wisconsin defensemen covering ice. I mean, they're <laughs> just doing nothing in particular, and you leave both Ernesty and Shifsky all alone in the slot. It's a bad sign when the goal could have been scored by either of two people <laughs> that are neither covered in the most dangerous area of the ice. So, so it's 1-1, and then the fourth line and gets stuck in their own zone. It's one of those sort of veneers... KJ forever shifts as Wisconsin just can keep recycling, keep cycling, keep cycling, and Michigan's just stuck there. And, and Draper ends up getting beat down the wall eventually. Holtz comes over to help out, but he vacates the front of the net to, to go hit a guy who's skating behind the net. A guy who's behind the net slips the pass out in front, and Lindmark there has just an easy look from point-blank range, and he gives Wisconsin a 2-1 to one lead. I mean, if you're Holtz there, you... It's bad that Draper's beaten. He's been on the ice for what feels like eight minutes, and then. But if you're Holtz, you you can't leave the front of the net, can you? Not if you're going to let the pass through. <laughs> so what, what's annoying to me about this play is that to me, if you're hemmed in in this situation, you got to stay to the inside. If you want to let them just keep skating, skating, skating all around the perimeter, so be it. But make sure that there isn't a pass to a dangerous area right around the net, and that if they're going to take a shot, it's through a ton of bodies. Right, that's just what you you, can't, you just can't allow a pass to a high danger area when you've been out there that long. Just yeah. protect the protect the just, area, it, hold on for dear life. Siege mentality. Hope they take a shot and it bounces free, and then you clear it. And that or goes up over the boards or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean that's especially in that situation where again you have Holtz, who clearly now is your fifth defenseman and your third or your fourth line. On the ice. I mean, these are. I mean, there's no real reason for what he does here. You have a guy with the puck goes high, does a spin move, shakes uh, Estapa off of him, but then Estapa and Draper switch. They're fine on the switch. Draper and and the other is watching the other guy who's got a, a slight step on him. But if Holt stays in position, the best move that guy has is to throw the puck in the slot to nobody, or to try and like wrap it around and you know you trust your goalie in that situation. Yep. Just take the guy and and that's what you got to do. And there's no reason for Holtz to switch like that because Draper's not in position to switch to the net front guy. So very weird. But the momentum shifts pretty shortly after that as Tyler Duke enters the zone and he has a nice little drop pass to Brindley who's flying right behind him. He kind of cuts through the house, gets below the angle line between the dot and the crease and then picks the opposite high corner on one of the better shots of his career, especially from that angle, to make it 2-2. Two to two. 
Yeah, I, I can't imagine Mike Hastings was pleased with this from uh, his goaltender. You think that should be saved? Yeah, I mean, it's a shot from the circle at a pretty obscure angle. Um, it kind of looks like, I'm not a goalie expert, but from my look at it, it kind of looks like he gets his angle off a little bit, that he overcommits. The goalie? Yeah, that he overcommits to the near post and leaves him a little vulnerable. And he's also a little low there, so there's the, the room over the shoulder exposed. Uh-huh. So credit Brindley to, to see what the goalie's giving you and, and taking it with a precise, precise shot. I mean, that's a really good shot, though. Yep. I mean, even yep. if there's no goalie there, to hit that little spot there, yep. that's that's some skill. And it's 2-2, two to two, and so, you know, it's it's kind of a back-and-forth game on the road on a, against a team that's really hot, and they kind of steady the ship because they go down a goal twice but bounce back both times. And, I mean, you know, they get a couple chances even late. Truscott gets to walk down the slot and a save is made, and then Shifsky hits the post late. So, I mean, they could have even had the lead at the end of the first period. It felt like they were the better team in the first, and certainly through the second then it was becoming very clear that Michigan – was definitely better on that night and were controlling the game and the volume of chances. You just have two really rough breakdowns. Well, and so into the second period, like you said, they they looked like they were the better team and they sort of asserted it. They You get, what, a breakaway early on from Nazer, who gets two chances, actually, on net, and the, but they're both saved by McClellan. And Rowe gets a chance on a breakaway after that. That one's, you're, you know, not as hopeful. <laughs> you're kind of more hopeful when Nazer gets in. Um, but so they, they have chances to take the lead there. Ruckter gets a couple of chances, a deflection in tight. He gets a shot in in, in tight too. And both of those are saved. Um, and then comes sort of like the big hit where you see Jackson Hallam try to leave the zone and he is rocked. Now, some people are talking about a headshot. Um, I was talking to Peter about it. He didn't seem to think he got hit in the head. I never really saw a good enough angle, um, but I don't believe Hallam returned after this. No, I, I didn't think it was a head. I thought it was knee on knee. Well, it was something. Um, and there was there maybe maybe it wasn't a head, but it was it was a a dirty hit. Certain affiliated people with Twitter accounts and ties to the program were very mad about this. Yeah. Um. I, it's hard to tell. I mean, we were watching on BTN Plus and, sorry, BTN Minus, and, you know, it looks like there's a hit and you're kind of like, hey, that should be a penalty, but, like, what is it? I'm not really sure. I mean, the you problem, don't get a replay. Yeah, Nothing's clear. no replay. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but, the, you know, Wisconsin then gets their chance and, and they hit the post and you know, it doesn't go in. But then Michigan has got a few odd man rushes in this game um, from that second line of... Nazer, Shifsky, and Ernesty, and in particular Shifsky and Nazer, and they come down on a two-on-one, and Shifsky takes the shot. Nazer grabs the rebound, is sort of being mauled from the side, and is able to flick home the rebound from an angle. And uh, I mean, that wasn't like the Brinley preciseness, but to be able to get that one on net, even though it was a bit of an open net with a guy hanging off you took some skill as well. I mean, I'm going to disagree with the characterization of that as an odd man rush. You didn't think it was a two-on-one? No. It's it's a two-on-two? Two? It's a two-on-two, two, but it's almost like a four, a 3v4 because you got those two Wisconsin guys. I mean, what, what they pull off here is a really impressive play. Shifsky and Nazer? Yeah, because you got Shifsky against one defender who's playing a reasonable gap. You've got Nazer, who is got maybe a step on a defender right behind him, but that is a really 
precise thing and nasers start slowing up so that by the time the shot is taken it's it's a two on two but then you've got one michigan player from behind and two wisconsin guys chasing him providing back pressure so this is a really tight area sort of play that's being made and so by the time that shifsky does his little toe drag around the first defender he's got the two wisconsin guys wearing him like a cheap suit from behind and so at that point Michigan's outnumbered right around the net by the time the shot is actually taken. And the shot's taken, it kicks out, and Nazer's being boxed out on the back door. Yeah. And just pokes it in. I well, mean, that's he gets, a really, really nice play. Yeah. That that putback was, I mean, it, like I said, it wasn't the preciseness of the shot of, from Brindley, but... And Shivsky, he creates space with the toe drag, but he in the process of shaking the the defender in front of him he encounters two behind him so yeah. it's that's a really nice play in a tight area space and and they had some rush chances all game Shivsky and, and Nazer they've played really well this season yeah they're starting to put I mean you, you it's probably not the high-end skill of the Brindley majority that we're seeing but they're building that kind of chemistry that we've seen those two guys build so now you have two different lines with two with two guys on each one that are be yeah. able to create and make things happen so it's Three to two. Michigan gets a little lucky right after that because Strammel shoots the puck and it goes through Barcheski and just trickles wide. I mean, that easily could have been a tying goal, but a little puck luck there doesn't hurt. Three to two going down. And then you have um, a, basically a two on two with Brindley and Dylan Duke. And this is, I mean, this is a great shot from Brindley, but I really like what Duke does. And it's sort of a little bit what you see in soccer, where if you have like an even man rush, so to speak, you'll get one of the attackers that runs to a post or to a different post to draw a defender away. And in hockey, what you would do, and if you're Dylan Duke, is you drive the front of the net to set a screen, and then Brindley shoots back behind that screen inside the far post. And it's just a very well-executed play all around for a guy who's a good nut front player, and then a guy who apparently is becoming a phenomenal shooter. Yeah, Duke here... Drives towards the front of the net, but not in, entirely. I mean, he stops up, and really what he does is by he, he kind of rubs the first defender and then goes into the second one. But in the process, what he really does is the screen is the Wisconsin defender. He, uh. he sort of you know nudges him that moves off to the side, and Brindley uses that defender and uh, then is able to rip it through with, with that screen. I mean, Brindley's, he's got a good shot. So uh, at that point, it's 4-2. to two. Michigan's really in control of the game. And and they've controlled yeah they've been the, the game like it you know they've had other chances to score as well not that Wisconsin didn't because obviously they did score goals and had chances but at that point you feel like after all the stuff has been mixed around for the better part of two periods you're up two goals on the road you've come back from two deficits like this is like a really strong performance so far yeah but this is a situation where you're up four to two. Got 26 minutes to go. Can you close the game out? Well, and that's been an issue for them this season. And the first thing, surprise, <laughs> the first thing that they do is Nazer takes a penalty and Wisconsin gets their first power play. The game. There are not many power plays in this game. Nope. I mean, Michigan had one early, did zero. And then Wisconsin gets one and they're okay until about a minute in. And then all four players kind of get either stuck puck watching or pulled to one side and the pass gets through. That's the thing you like to say. If you're going to cheat and you're going to try to trap, the pass cannot get through. But it does. 
to Lucius at the right point. He walks in and just goes bar down and buries a shot. The first thing to note with this is it's the old double whammy penalty because it's not just a penalty, but it takes maybe your best penalty killer off oh, the ice. Yeah. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But secondly, we'll probably talk more about this in the second segment if we're doing takeaways from the weekend, but it just feels like we're back to... 2020 almost in the sense that like i'm surprised you didn't go to 2018 yeah there's just no one on this play taking away passing lanes and that's like their biggest problem at the moment there's just positional problems and they're just not obstructing enough passes you go down to the doorstep there you got three michigan players in the area someone has got that (laughs) someone's got to take that play away right this is the whole thing when we talk more about teams experimenting with overload power plays, the whole thing about when you position that guy on the goal line, on the power play, the set play that is the natural result of that play is the backdoor pass. Yeah, you got to know that's what they're looking for. And there's three players there that can all make a play and take that pass away, and nobody does. So, Well, when you play like that, you give up chances. And if a guy misses the net, you get lucky. But in this case, when you go bar down, it's even tough to blame the goalie. Like, that's just also a good shot. Yeah. I mean, you could easily shoot it right into his pads, but you didn't. He picked his spot, and, and it's 4-3, to three and you're, you know, and it's later in the the period. And so anytime the, you get the, in... The biggest thing for me is the fact that it's a minute after the Michigan goal. Yeah. They never got a chance to consolidate that two-goal lead. And just, like, skate in the game, but you take a penalty, and now all of a sudden it's back to a one-goal game. And it's that's a very, very different feeling, especially with this particular team. They actually take Tyler Duke then takes a pre faceoff penalty after that. So that's bad. I, I, it feels like they probably could have taken both of them. They should have. On that. Yeah. Um, you should just even it up in that situation. It's two guys just chipping at each other. But So, you know, Wisconsin gets a couple chances after a sloppy Michigan change, but they don't score. Lindmark actually almost ties the game at the end of the period on a gorgeous tip that he makes out of the air, um, but it doesn't go in. So you get through the second period, and it's 4-3. to three. And like you said, now we're back in that situation of can you close out a game? And you know what? The truth is, is like they did for quite a while. I mean, that's a, they played for probably the first 10 to 15 minutes at least what you'd want to see. It's not building a shell and like trying to survive, and it's not going full tilt trying to score three more goals. But they mostly, it felt like, played... I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, but it was low, more, more or less low event hockey. Yeah, I, I don't think it was clinical. We, we've seen some Michigan teams in the past. Remember that game, twenty twenty two against uh, was it Notre Dame at Yost in this Big Ten semis? Yes, they closed it out just yeah. in. in you and know. They, they were just the better team. And right, and uh, there was I was watching uh, Canucks Stars on Saturday night, late at night, and the Canucks in that third period. I mean, I was watching, and I was like, "This is what it looks like." You, you know, you see it. When a great team is closing out a game, it is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's just so clinical. Yeah. you got guys in every position. Yep. It wasn't that level, but it was respectable, and they were doing all right. But in the back of my mind that whole time, I, I thought about saying this at the time when we were watching it, but I just kept thinking, like, four goals is not going to win this game. <laughs> like, Wisconsin is going to get one. Well, and, and Michigan almost does a couple of times. You know, they get um, they got a three-on-two chance, and, and Shifsky had a chance. Casey actually made a really nice move, got into the slot, and almost 
it gave them a two goal lead, but they just couldn't get that two goal lead back. And then, you know, you get the, you get the penalty later and, um, Fitzgerald is taken down by TJ Hughes. And it's, um, I, I think the frustrating thing about this one is that they almost killed it off. Like they, they, they killed it for a while. There weren't really any dangerous chances. Casey has a great stick to get the puck out. You know, there's a shot from the dot that's saved. They get a decent look. And then all of a sudden, like the seas part and you get that death pass from one side to the other on a one-timer and Tassie just beats Barczewski across and it's four to four. And you're just like, I mean, that's just, that's just the pass that like we, we scream that you can't give up, but it's the pass that Michigan tends to give up. Yeah, this is a weird one because it's coming off an entry. They they enter the zone at about uh, 13 seconds left in the penalty. Uh, the guy comes down the wall and goes down towards the end line. Triscott takes him out. It's like a slide tackle, basically. <laughs> they both go into the corner. And so now it's four on three, essentially. And there's just too much space being given. The the Two of the three remaining four checkers are, are penalty killers are deep in the zone. There's a lot of space, basically between F1 and F2 here. There's just too much space, and they're able to get that seam pass across. But this one is not good, but it's still a little more understandable just because it's off an entry, and it's right after a big collision. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they know where they're supposed to be, and they're just in the wrong place. They're trying to readjust to like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on right now? But it's also, this is what we've sort of seen with uh, Barczewski this season. We talk about him sliding across. This is a really awkward slide. He... It kind of gets a late read on it, it looks like. He starts sliding pretty late. But if you watch the clip, he isn't on his knees sliding side to side. He like kind of is still on his skates trying to slide across, and his right leg is extended out, his five holes exposed, and he's not covering the far post either. It's it's just a very weird-looking slide. Well, the thing about Barczewski that we've talked about and started to see now as more and more games have built up is that he seems to be a very good goalie, when he's in position yep. and when everyone is where they should be, you're probably not going to beat him. He's, and he doesn't give up rebounds. He's pretty good under control. He tracks the puck pretty well, deals with people in front of him, all those things. But when, and, and that it's sort of like the anti Portillo is like when Portillo was put into heroic do or die situations, there's probably not a guy I've seen that was better. And he, wasn't always in control. He what he did better when he was just flopping around, sort of like the Hashik mold, where yeah. he just he made a lot of those saves due to his athleticism and his size. Problem is that Hashik also made routine saves. Well, okay, we're not. I'm trying to like <laughs> put a picture in people's minds here. So Barczewski, if you break down and want him to make that save, is just probably not going to like that's just not who he is and you can fault him for it and you can say you know well that's why you will cap out at this level or whatever maybe you're right but when you're designing a penalty kill a defense anything to build around this guy those are the shots you'd, you'd rather have him give up a shot straight on than ask him to move and make something super athletic and obviously you can't do that all the time it's going to happen in hockey and in sports in general but you know, when that happens, I'm not going to be sitting there being like, oh, he's probably going to get it. Like, well, if he does, great. But this is asking him to do what he does least well. And, you know, it gets him. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. It's unfortunate to give up another power play goal. But 
at least the the weirdness of that play makes it a little more okay. The biggest issue is what happens 30 seconds later. Right. Because that just cannot happen. Well, and, and Tyler Duke gets beat up the boards, up the side. I mean, we were around this about three times and broke the whole thing the down. The biggest thing here is what is he doing on this play? <laughs> it's a 4-4 game, four minutes to go. Why is he still standing at the blue line? He needs to be falling back on that situation. I Well, he's... I'm he, the king of coaching for overtime, but... <laughs> In a Big Ten situation where you had a two-goal lead in this game, you cannot come away with no points. You have to get something. You have to get something. And then, you and know, so and it, honestly, when you're Michigan and you make it to overtime, yeah, who, who's going sure. to have the advantage? Sure. In in almost, there are a couple teams that can probably skate with you, not many. So I'm all in favor of just mucking this up. Defenseman, this is going to be 1950s style. You're not allowed to go past the center line. Like... <laughs> We're just parking the bus here. And instead, you got him standing at the blue line while four checkers are leaking past him. And he gets a bounce pass up the boards. And you've also got a forward on the far side who's late to pick up his guy. Well, the next part of it is that Warren then comes to help Duke and vacates the center of the ice, which this is like the Holtz thing. This is The like more the- I've watched this, the more I do think um, that this is more on, on Duke and uh, whoever the forward was on the far side. Well, it's McGroarty, which we'll talk about in a second. I, the more, yeah, I watched this again last night, and I think Warren's more off the hook here because his back is to the backside forward coming up the board. So I don't think he was aware that this was a developing into a two-on-one. You mean that the other guy was coming through? Yes. But so, because I think oh. when, if you look at the way he plays this, he sees Duke get beat. And he, the way his body is positioned, he thinks this is a one-on-one rush. I see. And if you're one-on-one rush, he does it exactly correct. He's, he comes over, he's going to play a tight gap and do what needs to be done. And then he sees Duke start to catch up, and at that moment he realizes, okay, now I need to back off. And then it's only after he starts backing off that he realizes, uh-oh, there's someone coming in the back door, and, and the reason down in the back door, and and the reason for that is because <laughs> Rucker McGordy doesn't back check yeah. and chase his guy, yeah. and so I I would put it much more on Rucker and Duke because Warren's in a really tough spot. Here. But it's just not he's he's like the free safety, yeah. and the corner and the linebacker both whiffed on their tackles, <laughs> like, <laughs> and. It, the problem is, is, is it's not one guy. Yeah. After you've blown a two goal lead, which makes me wonder, you like you said, thirty seconds after, is this mental? Like, is it just in somebody's head? And that you know kind of brings. So then that pass goes across. We'll finish it up. Lindmark walks in, shoots, beats Barczewski. and Barczewski has a shot at it, and just doesn't come up with it. It is what it is. Yep, and that's kind of what we have come to with this goaltending situation is that Barczewski is a guy where you play well in front of him, he's going to be fine. You ask him to make those crazy saves, he's not going to. You give up a grade A opportunity, a good shooter's going to beat him. And that's kind of what happened all night on Friday. So, you know, we can talk a little bit about this now, and then, you know, it'll get addressed in game two when we kind of fast forward through a lot of that game, but... You know, is is collapsing a thing? Like, is is just you're not a third period team? I mean, I mean, these feel like you know it, the radio problem. call-in show topics here. But like, it's this is the third time they've blown a lead in the third period in only like seven or eight or well, mm-hmm. been eight or nine games. Yeah. And then what they did the next night is basically a similar situation. So you're looking at four out of ten games, and what? Where all, you're only a few minutes from getting either more points or any points or whatever it, you want. It's do. all their losses, yeah. <laughs> and they're all in the last five minutes. 
Yeah. Not the UMass one. I mean, that was the whole the, period. Not for but Big Ten, but that's another just disaster. Right. And so, is I, I is think, that a thing, or is this just unlock? Are they just unlucky? So I think that it it is a thing where some teams are are built and and better conditioned to hold leads, and they're better drilled at it, and they're just more ready. You to mean do like it. if you're a good defensive team? Sure. And you're a good checking team, or you have a good goal. You're very well coached. You're yeah. well drilled. You know how to just get it done and shut this down. Like that's. That's the hallmark of every Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, you see Stanley Cup champions; they get in that in that uh, clinching game with a lead in the third period, and it's just over. And they know how to put it. So there's part of that. But then I think if you are a team that isn't set up to do that, and you have a couple, and let's say the ones that do happen at the start are more lucky, unlucky than anything skill related. Once it starts happening, then I think it can absolutely become mental. Mm-hmm. Right? It gets in your head. I mean, because this was an issue last year. Yes, and last season in the NHL, I think the Canucks, their first 10, 12 games, they blew four or five leads like in a similar manner. And I remember just thinking about that, and I think at that point, how can it not become mental? Yeah. Right? If you, because it's the same the, thing for a closer, right? In a closer yeah. in baseball, if you've blown three saves in a row, it, becomes, it gets in your head. You, it has to well, and, because it's just the repetition. It's, it's muscle memory. You get in that same situation, you say, wait a second, the last three times I was here, it ended badly. And you just start to get tight, you start to worry a little bit, and and it creeps in. It also affects you from the mental standpoint of, you know, because during the course of a game, you obviously go through emotions, and you you build a two- or three-goal lead, and you're still like, yeah, so what? Like, we've been here before. Like, you know, Michigan takes a two-goal lead into into the game on Friday or Saturday, and, I mean, I'm going to feel like... Well, <laughs> I don't feel great. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't play well or whatever. I'm just going to be like, let's see what happens in the next 20 minutes because so far this year that hasn't meant a whole lot. And, you know, the one thing I will say is that you don't have a goalie that is just absolutely lights out. Like they don't have Ryan Bischel and Devon yep. Levi. Okay. The second thing is, is, you know, now you're down skaters. I mean, you don't have enough defensemen. So... You know, there's some guy that was in, in the comments of, the, I think, the Friday night, my Friday night piece. It was like, you know, they just looked exhausted. And, okay. I, I mean, to some extent, that's understandable. It can be for the defenseman, for you, sure. You don't have enough guys. And so by the end of the game, you're just sort of breaking down. And, I mean, that was the case in the UMass game. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that that was the case against Ohio State. That was a game I didn't see either. But, um there are those, you know, actual factors that could be relevant. It's more just, you know, is this, can you become strong enough mentally to, to not let this become a thing? And so far it seems, I don't know, I'm not convinced, I guess. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. There's a fine state. Where would you reside? Not quite to Canada. Great Lakes are by her side. Home of Aldo Leopold, Big Sky and Orson Wells. Steve Mither Band, lots of used up shotgun shells. Where everyone's your neighbor, 
beer, cheese, and fish fried. And you don't just say you're leaving, you say goodbye. Fifteen times. Okay, bye bye now. See you guys later. Hey, keep her moving. So roll out the barrel and strike up the band. And the spray's Lombardi, the pack is back again. And I'm Wisconsin, the Badgers, they say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. Okay, hit that squeeze box. Oh yeah, this oh, that is so hot, I need a bubbler on parched grapes all Friday. Now everything's bigger in Texas, but look, you can't catch perch on a five-inch hook. And I'm no stranger to Tennessee whiskey. So Alex, if you watched the Lindenwood series last weekend and you saw the Friday game, you didn't have to watch the Saturday game to see both games. And while this Saturday game supposedly wasn't the same, it also was the same. So obviously, you know, I was at the football game. You were covering the football game. That's also part of our jobs. Again, where we have to pick between these things because unfortunately, it is amazing. USC and Washington was more important, <laughs> as was Alabama. LS. <laughs> Football gets the clicks, just the way it goes. Well, also, I mean, there's a hundred reasons why this happens, and I think that most people understand it. There are probably those ten or twelve diehards, and those are probably honestly the people listening to this podcast. Let's be real, but um. So this wasn't a shootout. This appeared to be a much lower scoring game. The final ended up being 2-1 to one Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin does score early on, hey, you guessed it, a power play goal. And they actually, by the end of the weekend, were 4 of 10 on the power play. They had 10 power plays. I think Michigan had... 4 of their 7 goals on the weekend were on the power play. Right. 4 of their 7 goals. They were 4 of 10 on the power play. Michigan had 1 power play on Friday. And then I think they had, what, three on Saturday. So they only had four power plays all weekend, which matches the number of power play goals Wisconsin had. Um, that's just a big issue. And, and we've we've kind of beaten that one to death a little bit. So it's 1-0 for the majority of this game in the third period. Shifts. I'll, I'll say one thing about this goal. It's a weird one. Which one? The first goal. The Wisconsin opener? Yeah, okay. Yeah. They, they pass it down low to the guy in that same spot on the doorstep. This time they do a fine job taking away the backdoor pass. He just turns around and tries to jam it in, and then they just jam away and it goes in. I I don't really know. I didn't see the overhead angle, so I don't know exactly how that one went in. But Do you, do you think there was an overhead angle? <laughs> what service do you think this is? So I don't really know exactly how it went in, but that's a, a strange one. I think from a structural standpoint, it was a much better kill in the sense that like it wasn't a a dangerous pass they were letting across. So at mm-hmm. least there's that. But this was the game of power play goals from mad scrambles, basically. That's how both their goals were scored. Well, Michigan temporarily ties the game at one from probably their line of the weekend, right? I mean, Shifsky scores from Nazar early in the third to even it out after pretty much going two, three periods without scoring a goal against Wisconsin. It's a very similar one to the one in the Friday game. It's just a puck below the goal line, and that line is doing a great job shooting, retrieving, and then putting pucks right back in high-danger I mean, areas. is that their best line? It might be. certainly was this weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's 1-1, and you're kind of like... I was I was following on Twitter a little bit as, as I could get some connectivity in the stadium, and you're hoping, okay, at this point, I'm like, you know what? Honestly, just 
get to overtime, like, I want a point. <laughs> we just, just get a point, and then maybe you get two, and hey, whatever. You get out of there, and, you know, we don't have to go back there this year. But, so it looks like maybe they score to well, win the game. One thing should be pointed out here. I didn't, again, watch this game, but I just watched a two-minute highlight package of Wisconsin highlights from last night. Yeah. Or last night I watched it from the Saturday game. Yeah, this was a good goaltending game and some other other things that happened in this one. And with six minutes to go, Gavin Brindley makes a pass directly to a Wisconsin player in his own end and gives away a partial breakaway. <laughs> it's one of the worst passes I've ever seen. And Worse than the Bordelow fumble in front of his own and, and then crease. And the shot goes off the pipe. So okay. Michigan was very, very lucky to be uh, in a in a one-one game late in the third period. Peter was was texting, but I imagine they're not showing like the ones Michigan almost scored. I think this was a game where yeah. there were some chances that were being stopped. Peter texted me and said, "You know, he's like, I read your Friday write-up and I I agree with it. Um, and the saves that you were asking Barcheski to make, he made in the in that Saturday game." So I, that was good. You know, I mean, I said, you know, at some point, you know, because that's, that's your thing, right? It's like you're like, at some point you got to make a save. Yeah. And, and I that's, don't think Barczewski was necessarily the issue in this game. No. They're, well, how many goals did they give up? <laughs> I mean. Yeah, they didn't. They scored one goal. Yeah. And they almost scored another one. It's like with a minute 45 to go in the game. Yes. They're coming down in the offensive zone. There's a pass. I think it's Brindley to Rutger. He's on the wing. It's like a really obscure angle down the wall, not even the half wall, like the quarter wall mm -hmm. in the corner where it starts to curve. And it's sort of a one-timer, and <laughs> he takes the shot, and the shot is going on the goalie, and the puck is somewhere, and at the same time that it is hypothetically in the net, Dylan Duke on the back door loses an edge and goes careening into the net at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> so he wasn't, he wasn't pushed? He and a Wisconsin guy are both going like really fast towards the net and then yeah. they try to stop up. I tried to look and see if there was a trip. I didn't see one. I don't know if they got tangled up or what exactly caused him to lose his edge, but it's this just bizarre play because at the same time that this one-time shot is being taken in the background, you're like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> and thankfully it didn't hit McClellan because he had come out of the net to challenge the shot, but yeah. like right behind him, you just see a guy at full speed just go flying into the net and blow the net right off as it, it crashes into the end board. Is it like that play in the Jets and Chiefs game? Where the guy goes flying by Patrick Mahomes <laughs> yeah. in the video, where he's just, just where where is he going? Very weird. And so they challenge, I believe, thinking that the puck went into the net. I believe was the point of contention here. Yeah. When I first, they thought they won the game. When I first saw the clip, I thought this was going to be uh, like you see in the NHL. They have the rule that if the puck is going in and the net is knocked off, it still counts. Yes. As long as it was knocked off by a defensive player. So I first face value, I thought their challenging was the puck going in when the net was knocked off, and it was knocked off because Duke was pushed in by a defensive player. Wouldn't that be the same challenge? I, it will, well, <laughs> that's the thing. Is like My first thing in analyzing this is, did the puck even go in? Wow. Are we analyzing whether it was going in and the net was pushed off, or did it actually enter the net? And I rewatched this video 40 times, and I have no idea where the puck is. Because they never show us any other angle on BTN. So it might have just evaporated? Well, I'm like, is this grainy dot the puck or is this other? <laughs> this could have been so easily solved by the overhead angle. Ugh. Like in NHL, this would have been a one-minute well, challenge, not you, a seven-minute 
do you think the people who are making these calls or reviewing or wanting challenges, whatever, like, do you think that they have that view? I have no idea. Because would you? We know they have more angles than we have. Okay. So we're told that. Well, I don't know if it's true. Told a lot of things, Alex. <laughs> do you, would you have challenged this based on the angles you had? No, not in a million years. But if you had an overhead angle? If I had an overhead angle that showed the puck in the net, obviously I would. Yeah. But I have no idea if it was in the net. And if they were challenge, if they were challenging it on, we thought it was going in, but then the net was knocked off. I would not have challenged that hmm. because I don't think there was enough cause to show that Duke was pushed in that you can argue it was a defensive player knocking the net off. Hmm. Um, just a very strange play. So they do get rid of the rule, which is which is you can't just burn a timeout for this, which I think is probably good in general because it's just it, it's just incentivizing more delays and then you end up using it for something that you have a Hail Mary shot to win yep. and like it just wastes time. The so Penn State. Huh? The Penn State won yeah. in the tournament. So in this situation they challenge it, they don't win it, so you get a delay a game, which is the rule in the NHL. Yep. So you know you get your the problem is like when that's the penalty and you're Michigan and you have <laughs> You're you're basically like well, well. Let's do the math here. Okay. You have to be at least seventy five percent confident that it's going to go your way. <laughs> well, lower <laughs> than just, that. Justify, uh, well, I guess at the time maybe not. Justify but, your you so know, thought process. So they they are confident enough. They don't get it. They go on the penalty kill, and I think this they mostly kill the penalty off or about to end it, and then you know they they give up a goal with six seconds left. It, I mean. The Michigan Twitter account was like, you know, Jake makes the first save, but he can't make the second one, and it's six and a half seconds left. It's two to one, Wisconsin. And you were slightly critical of the rebound. Yeah, I. It's the end of the game, so it doesn't matter. But for me, this is like, a, well, rebound, but also like if I'm Brandon Narado, I'm benching Seamus Casey for his next shift. Like, there's got to be some <laughs> for the ac- plane ride there's home. Some, there's got to be some accountability. Just you- they. A, a guy is him and whoever that defenseman is. I think it's Trescott. Let me see when he turns around. Yeah, it is. And there's just two guys that aren't doing anything. Like help your goalie. You have to make him take a carriage ride back to Ann Arbor. <laughs> I mean, Casey is is supposed to be blocking the shot, but he's not even in the shot path. He's way to the middle of the ice, and you can't even say he was taking away a backdoor pass because there's no one on the back door. He's not doing anything. So the and sh- then you've got Trescott, who is supposed to be at the net front. And he's just standing to the side, letting the Wisconsin guy block, you know, screen his goalie. And so the shot comes in. Shot comes in saved. while two Michigan players stand to the side and let it come in. <laughs> and then it's <laughs> through it's, a screen. It's bumped out into the. And then it comes in in the chest of Barcheski, and he just can't squeeze it, and it pops free. And then a guy comes to the side and bangs it in, in part because Marcus Stapa just stands there and watches a backdoor cutter go right by him. And Triscott is too busy jamming away to box the guy out, and it goes in. And at that point, do you challenge that? This is this this is the same thing. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> this is the same thing that we talked about again in 2020. That you just have too many parking cones right now. <laughs> parking cones or, tra- or the orange traffic cones? They are just standing around. Like, what's the sticks? point? What is the point? You have th- on that goal. You have three players who just stand there. While Wisconsin players take shots, get in high danger areas, obstruct the goalie, attack rebounds, and no one boxes out, no one picks guys up, no one blocks a shot, no one even attempts to block a shot. 
At what point? What is, are we doing at this point? At what point is this coaching? Well, we'll see what the what the how the players respond. Yeah, they've given up twenty eight goals this season, twelve of them on the power play. Oh my gosh! Yeah, in ten games. Ten games. So the interesting thing is that even strength Corsi was in Michigan's favor, sixty two to forty. So it's they they controlled the puck. It seems like they controlled shot uh, shots and attempts. Um, it was slightly in their favor on Friday. We watched that game. Looked like Michigan was the better team. Numbers are saying that Michigan looked like the better team. They just find ways to break down when you just can't afford to break down at all. And I mean, it. it you know, my the, one of the last bullet points I had was like, it just feels like Michigan played well enough to get at least three points this weekend, but found some way to get zero. And you know, that's that's something that they have to mature and grow out of because you know. You one of the hallmarks of of I mean being a young team, immature team, not a good team is finding a way to hemorrhage points, and they're doing that. You know, they're doing that for the pairwise, but they're really doing that in the Big Ten. What is very frustrating about this situation is it feels like Groundhog Day, and yeah. every year we have a conversation in November where it's like, well. We're basically out of it <laughs> because we just threw away a whole weekend, a whole weekend. And yeah. it's not over yet, but like, I don't know why every season that we have to be in this position where they just hemorrhage points be for careless, sloppy reasons, and then eventually catch fire in the second half and make their charge in the tournament. And we all get excited, but I don't know why we always have to be. Well, and place. that's the thing is like those seasons aren't, you know, the ends of those seasons are fun. I mean, you know, we talk about the last couple of years and they've we've had a couple really fun marches and, and even even February, whatever. But it would just be really nice to, like, be in a race all year and, like, be going back and forth. You don't even have to be winning the whole time, but just going back and forth and playing near the top. Oh, did we win this weekend? Did the team we're playing against or the third team? You know, who's, you know, who's juggling, juggling for position and, and all of that? And, you know, it just, like you said, it just feels like, again, they're just out of it. And they, at the Christmas break last year, they were 3-5 and five in regulation with two overtime games in the Big Ten. And and how many points behind whoever? A million, because, you know, Minnesota was way right. out ahead. I mean, part of, I don't think anyone's going to run away with it. We'll see with Wisconsin. I didn't certainly see anything from this weekend to make me think they're like a juggernaut that should run away with it. But... They're doing what they need to do, which well, is actually win the games. But and they also beat Michigan and Minnesota. Yeah. So it's not like it's they're they're beating up on the cream puffs. Well, maybe maybe Michigan, Minnesota, the cream puffs this year. Who maybe knows? That's, maybe that's the twist in the plot. It's possible. But, but they're beating the teams at the beginning of the year that you're circling. Like, hey, we want to win the conference. Got to beat this team. Got to beat this team. And they did. And you know, Michigan now has a big series upcoming, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but you know, if they don't play well against Minnesota this weekend, I mean, they're way out of it and they might be out of, they'd be out of the tournament picture again in November. So, well, one thing that does have to be discussed before we preview the weekend and well, we're going to go through some scores, some scores, but I would have to break this down, but it doesn't feel like Michigan's five on five shooting percentage is very high. They're not mm. generating a lot of offense at five on five that's actually, that or goals. Let's put it that okay. way. Um, because they're getting chances. They're getting some chances, yes. But, uh, you know, Saturday's game against Wisconsin, they score one goal total, and it's a five-on-five goal. Their uh, final game against Ohio State, 
they scored two goals, both of which were on the power play. Yeah. So that's two of your last three Big Ten games where in 120 minutes of hockey, you scored one five-on-five goal. Yeah. And that that's just something to keep an eye on. Well, and you have how many like high draft picks and, and guys that are goal scorers. And I mean, Brindley's having a good year. Rutgers having a good year. Seamus Casey's having a good year. Frank Nazer's chipped in goals. TJ Hughes is scoring goals. I mean, you know, some of them are, you know, against Lindenwood and also on the power play, but you're right. I mean, you should be able to win shifts. I mean, that's part of the, the, the discussion we were having a little bit earlier about Nazer and Shifsky is like, you know, this is a line that can back up that Rutger and Brindley line. And you should be able to create chances on, back-to-back shifts when those guys are going on the ice. Yeah, even uh, the 10-1 to Lindenwood game, it was a weird game, but with a lot of special <laughs> yeah. teams time. With but eight special teams goals. There was still only two five-on-five goals in yeah. that game. Well, they, the, the, the game before, there was a ton. but Sure, I, I'm just saying it is something to keep an eye on. That they go through stretches where they just don't really finish. They don't finish chances. Even strength. On, so. yeah. Well... Let's move on to looking around at other games. Uh, we got to start with our, our buddies who thought they were maybe going to pull one out on Friday, but but didn't. Augustana plays Michigan Tech, I believe, at Tech. Yeah, they were up 4-2. to 4-2, and... and they end up losing 6-4. to four. And then they play tough the next night and lose in overtime, 4-3. to three. So, It's a bummer. You know, they played well, and had a shot in the first game and, and were tied obviously at the end of the second game. I mean, but the, yeah, they seem to be putting together at least some weekends of competitive play. Yeah. Uh, Providence, Michigan's first opponent tied New Hampshire one to one and then won two to zero. So speaking of not scoring a lot of goals, but you know, they get a win and a tie in hockey East, you know, pretty uh, solid. Yeah. You probably want two wins if you're Providence, but that's, that's fine. UMass, beat the Fighting Craig Rosses of Northeastern 2-1 to one in overtime. I don't know what Northeastern has this year. Uh, probably less than they did last year if we're just looking at goalie. Yeah. But for whatever reason, UMass only played one game, and they play, I was looking at the schedule, they play Northeastern again in a single game at the end, like mid-end of January, like the 20th of January. Yeah, very Which strange. is interesting scheduling there. But, is that you part know, of the bean pot? Uh, no, Beanpot, I think it's in February, okay. and UMass is not in the Beanpot. Oh, that's right. It's uh, Northeastern, North, Northeastern right. Harvard, and the Boston School, Yep, which are probably like 10 of them. But, um, and then our buddies Lindenwood uh, needed a, apparently a week off after giving up 19 goals to Michigan, so they had a bye They're this week. They're back in action against August Nana. Yes, we will have uh, some spicy updates about that rivalry that will be brewing next week. St. Cloud. Uh, is maybe back from the dead. They uh, they beat not that Miami three to two and then six to zero. I'm guessing that Miami is I don't is think poor. Is, yeah, I think they're very bad. But I mean, so are we rooting for St. Cloud? I mean, do we need them to be better so that a win means something, or are we like, God, we got to find a way to get a win? <laughs> so be sucky. Yeah, I don't I don't really know on that one. I we'll just see what happens. Okay. Uh, and then out your favorite team, the Stonehill Stones, lost to Arizona State in overtime, five to four, and then three to two. They scored six goals. By far their best uh, series of the season. Uh, ever? <laughs> <laughs> Probably ever. I mean, they went to overtime. Yes, they did. They uh, shot attempts in the two games were 
you know, in favor of Arizona State, but not by gigantic margins, about 60-40. And this was in Tempe, I presume. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that's at least a nice sign for them. Um, they weren't even sure. They were like, wait, we still playing? What's going on here? Yeah, Arizona State might just be really bad. Yeah, well. But I, mean, I don't know, because what's interesting about that is you look at Arizona State's schedule, and they they wins over Merrimack, they wins over Northern, who are not like great teams, but... They're teams. Yeah, so I don't know what happened there. Are maybe, you... Maybe Stonehill's turning it around. Are you coming around on Stonehill, Alex? <laughs> maybe they're figuring it out. By the way, Arizona State's exhibition was a club scrimmage against Arizona's club team. Wait, they played their club team against Arizona's club team? No, they played their team against Arizona's club team. Okay. And they won 16-0. to zero. <laughs> Well, I mean, Duh. it's a Division <laughs> yeah. One team against a club team. What do you want? <laughs> uh, that's it's just very funny. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. Um, uh, so now we get to the Big Ten scores. Ohio State, uh, we watched a little bit of this game on Friday, played Michigan State and lost 6-0 in Columbus on Friday. And then... Um, kind of had their own little collapse on Saturday where they lost 6-4, to four, but they were up 4-3 to three in the third and then gave up, I think, two goals and an empty netter. A lot of goals scored this weekend in that uh, matchup. Yeah, Ohio State, it was back and forth, but they were up 4-3. to three. Not for very long, though. Yeah. Uh, Michigan State tied it about two minutes after. It was 4-4, four, four, and they played it an even uh, level for about 10 minutes, and then uh, Tanner Kelly scored the go-ahead goal before the empty netter finished it off but uh, that's a big weekend for msu after a couple tough weeks in a row uh they can definitely put some goals in the net I mean, you look at their scoring this season five four five five six four four one six six so uh, a lot of scoring going on still a little bit of concern about some of the goals going in Defensive shout out pieces. on friday nice yeah. but obviously four goals the next night so Keep an eye on that, but hey, 46 goals in 10 games, not too bad for this for the Spartans, whereas Ohio State, uh, there's some concern there, I think, in net at this point. Well, those two points that Michigan gave up in the last five minutes of that Saturday game against Ohio State a couple weeks ago is going to probably be that loss that you look at and you're just like, uh, what are we doing at the end goals of the year? Goals allowed in conference games by Ohio State, 7-2-6-6. <laughs> What's the two, Alex? <laughs> All right, uh, so next we have Penn State and Notre Dame who played a Saturday-Sunday series. I watched a little bit of that yesterday. Did you see the ending? Uh, yeah. Um, well, Friday, right, they, they tie 3-3, three to three, or Saturday, you know, the first game. Notre Dame wins in the shootout to get the extra point. And then yesterday, Penn State, like, outshoots Notre Dame by double for a lot of the game. I think Notre Dame kind of closes the gap in shots a little bit, but it was 2 nothing Notre Dame in the most Notre Dame game of all time, which seems to happen every weekend. <laughs> you know, they're up 2-0, to zero, and then they end up blowing that lead at in Hockey Valley. They go to overtime and lose in a shootout. So in the end, both teams get three points in a very in convoluted ways. Well, Feels probably right, but, but based on what we think these teams are. What's notable about this is Notre Dame had a chance to ice it into the empty net. Oh, yes. And there was a really nice sliding block. Kick save and a beauty. Yeah, by the Penn State uh, player. And then it goes back down the other way. And uh, Penn State ties it with 36 seconds left. So It's not quite the Patrick Stefan missing the open netter no, by tripping. No, more skill there, but... Uh, definitely a really tough weekend if you're Notre Dame to, you you know, pretty close to having five points in that 
uh, on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, kind of, except that you basically were going to goalie them. But that's I mean, all they can do. Well. This team is not very good. There you go. 24 goals in nine games for Notre Dame. <laughs> good news, Ryan Bischel, 931. Well, he's as advertised. Same thing as last year. Minnesota beat Duluth 5-1 to one on Friday night. Watched a few minutes of that and then tied 3-3 three to three on Saturday. Um, are we concerned about Duluth? It might be over for Duluth. I don't know. We, and this is what, year two now? A few years Or is removed. it three where they've been kind of fading? No, no, they made the tournament. They made the uh, Elite Eight, I guess, three years ago. Remember, they, they lost to Denver because they were going to play Michigan, and we were stupidly rooting for Denver. But yes, um, last year they were not very good, and this year uh, this is the first time Minnesota beat Duluth in a few years or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that stat off the top anyway, of my head. But a win and a tie for Minnesota against Duluth, not too bad. Yeah, Duluth last year, they were 16-20-1. Uh, this season, they're 3-3-3 three, three, and three to start. <laughs> it's pretty even. They don't look particularly great. They have wins over Bemidji and Northern. They tied Northern. They tied Tech, tied Minnesota, and then three pretty decisive losses to Cornell and Minnesota. So hmm. they don't really look like... Uh, what they used to. Yeah. We'll monitor that situation. Well, now we can talk about Minnesota a little bit in, I think what I put in the bullet points of is a Minnesota mediocre matchup because I was looking at pairwise and I know it's too early for you to discuss pairwise, but both teams are like on the bubble or almost out. I think Michigan's like 15th and Minnesota's like 18th. I mean, when was the last time at any point, both of these teams were that far low? I couldn't even tell you probably back in the, um, oh, I can't even think of who was their coach before Motsko days, uh, before they hired him. I can't even think of Don Lucia, name. right? Yes. Yeah. Back in the Lucia days is, uh, I, golden age. For yeah. So Minnesota's 23rd in Corsi, which feels a little low. They're 17% on the power play, which also feels low for Minnesota. 86% on the penalty kill. That's, that's pretty good. They have 13 drafted skaters. No one is surprised. They have four in the top two rounds. Can you name them? Four in the top two rounds. Uh, Oliver Moore, Snuggerud, Sam Renzel. And I think you got the three first rounds. Oh, Ryan Chesley, right? Yes. Yep. Washington. And then they have nine more fourth through seventh rounders yep. that are guys. Um they have six skaters right now that are scoring up over .75, but no one is, like, tearing it up. I think one guy, maybe Snuggerud, is, is scoring it, like, right at yep. one point yep. per game. Snuggerud has six goals in eight games. Yep. He's been doing uh, some of the heavy lifting, but otherwise, you look at this uh, lineup. Oliver Moore has made an impact, as you'd expect, with uh, seven points. Nelson and Brodzinski, they're two uh, fifth-year players, both with four goals. And then the scoring kind of drops off after that. They've got 26 goals through eight games, which is okay. Solid. I'm depends, fine. Depends on who you've played. but Yeah. Um, it's about a weekend versus Lindenwood. Yeah. And then uh, Justin Close, 913 save percentage, a little bit lower than uh, what he's been in the past. So... Two, two, three, six, GAA. I mean, he's Justin Close. Yep. I mean, he's this is his third year that Michigan's really going to face him. Every, it feels like every game that they face him that they have, you know, normal team. Although, you know, he didn't play in that crazy series last year against, uh, you know, yeah, the, was, the, sick, uh, the sickness series or whatever. What was his name? 
I don't even remember. They had two different guys that played. It was like Bartakowski or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. And um, but he's just he's he's close. He's he's good. He makes saves. But Michigan has never really struggled to score on him, especially in big games. I mean, they beat him both times in the yep. Big Ten tournament championship. They've beaten him a couple times at in Minneapolis, and you know they they took him to overtime in the game that they didn't win in in Minneapolis. So you know he's just he's what he is and you had a three-year run where minnesota was really good just kind of death star caliber team and yeah. this year's team looks like a pretty solid team some talented players but not uh, a well-oiled machine at this point in time well and you know they just don't have the layers of stars that yep. they used to i mean they they even when they had that really good on, top line, younger on defense, right? Because they had what to note. the last three years, they've had the same basic four to six <laughs> defensemen who were all high end draft picks that just wouldn't leave for any for whatever reason. And you're just like, man, we get two years of Hughes or other Hughes or whomever, and they're getting like three and four years from Johnson. People don't want to hear it, but we are Ohio State football, and they are Michigan. How is that? This is what Ohio State player fans say all the time. Oh, because we're complaining. Yeah, like, why do our players leave after three years and go to the NFL and Michigan gets Zinter and Keegan, you know, back? It's the same thing. I see it all the time. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. I wish we would have gotten all those Big Ten titles that Ohio State had, though, for all those years. That would have been okay. But anyway, so this is, you know, this is an interesting series because, you know, they've played, what, two games and, and lost both of them in, in conference Michigan has four points that they did get from Ohio State, but they loot, they drop a bunch of points to to uh, Wisconsin. So they're not necessarily in that much better or worse of a spot. It feels like they're kind of in similar positions. Um, but if one team were to take all of the points this weekend, the other team is going to be in a bit of a hole, especially because losing to a team that isn't you know, top five in bearwise or whatever is going to sting you. And then in, you look at the big 10, you know, Wisconsin doesn't play, but you're still, I mean, right now, Minnesota, while they do have two games in hand is four full wins behind Wisconsin and Michigan's, you know, almost three. So this is not a situation that either team is really used to be. Well, I should say that's not true. Michigan's always, <laughs> this is where that we've lived for the last five years, but what Minnesota's say, not used to being here. What I'll say about this weekend is it's a, we can sit here and lay out with the implications on paper and the schedule and the standings and all this sort of stuff. But I'm more interested in just the response from the players that less about what it means in the standings and more about playing for respect and dignity, right? Like, you had a, a really rough weekend last weekend. Yeah. Really tough psychologically, tough emotionally. When you played you threw, well. You threw two games away. I want to see the team come out with fire. And I want to see them come out, you know, play angry, get a resounding win in game one. You get the home crowd behind you, get the juices flowing. And then obviously if they're in a situation where it's a one goal lead in the third period, how do they respond? And that's that's what I'm looking for more than anything else. So it's kind of interesting because... Both of these games are 7 p.m., it looks like, and both are at BTN+, Plus, which I don't remember many Michigan-Minnesota games being. Well, yeah. I mean, they usually try to get those games on, you know, the flagship network, but uh, apparently when you don't win much, you uh, you get relegated. So, um, I don't know. I, I agree with what you're saying. You need to kind of come out and play for some pride a little bit, and 
Um, but also, like, can you play for 60 minutes? You know, can you finish it out when you, if they get a lead in the third period, can you, can you see it through? And can you kill a freaking penalty, please? (laughs) Those are some things that, like, should be written on a whiteboard that you need to go and check off at the end of the night. And, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of expecting a split. I feel like whoever comes out and plays harder or plays better on Friday, the other team will most likely respond. And it doesn't feel like one of these teams is significantly better than the other. They seem similar teams for different weaknesses and different strengths. I, I think Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin are exactly on a similar, you know, playing field. I so that, in in I, that world is is Wisconsin's PDO just higher right now? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Well, okay. But, but they're actually what what my point spiritually is talking, like they just got the wins. They've got the dog in them. And to use the cliches, right? They <laughs> Is that in that meme with the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's just what it is. It's when these teams have played they're pretty, you know, similar sorts of games, and Wisconsin's finishing them out. Yeah. Didn't they score late against Minnesota in one of those two games? They scored in the third. The other one, they won 5-2. to two. Yeah, the one was a decisive win, but yeah. the other one, if I remember correctly, Wisconsin scored with about three minutes left. Was it that late? I can look, but that was my memory. We That was the one we watched, I think. Uh, or I was watching it. You we were got watching home. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the second game. It was 3-2 to two final. It was the Friday night game. Yeah, Wisconsin scored at seventeen twenty nine of the third period. Oh, so with two and a half to so go. So you got three games where they've just pipped scored somebody. in the final four minutes to win. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, and that's where you did the whole like clutch and collapse and luck and unluck and that kind of thing come into play. And but you know they've done it three times against the two teams that you need to do it against. Hockey cast 6.6 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Next week, we will be following the football team into Hockey Valley.